the week in agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. After some 21 years in existence, there are changes planned to the Red Tractor Scheme. Things like environmental protection and sustainability have become much higher on consumers' agenda than perhaps they were 20 years ago. And now we can apply to use neonicotinoids on this year's sugar beet crop, but it's not that straightforward. There are, are very, very strict following crop um, limits. You cannot grow uh, a, a flowering crop such as beans within 22 months uh, after sowing a neonic sugar beet crop. And you can't grow a crop of all-seed rape for 32 months after sugar beet. That is in effect three, four years. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. We'll also be looking at the markets with Kit and we'll hear from one Lincolnshire farmer going the extra mile, or 26, for a farming charity. Unfortunately, Sean Sparling can't be with us this week, but we will have the detailed weather forecast for the week ahead. In the news this week, the RABI has launched the biggest ever well-being survey of the farming sector. They hope the data they collect from the survey will lead to better support strategies for farming people in the future. To take part, visit rabi.org.uk. The ballot on the future of the AHDB's horticulture levy opened last week. You may remember we spoke to Peter Thorold on the programme last year about this. A yes vote is a vote for the reforms proposed in the AHDB's change in strategy document and a no vote could see the end of the statutory levy. The ballot closes on the 10th of February and the results are expected on the 17th. And farmers are being invited to have your say on ways to minimise damage to crops and property caused by increased numbers of visitors to the countryside. I'm sure you've seen pictures in the media of walkers straying from the pathway because it's muddy and trampling emerging crops and dogs being allowed to roam free close to livestock. Government agency Natural England is seeking views on how to refresh the countryside code to encourage people to act responsibly. It's clearly important that visitors stick to the countryside code, but does anyone read it or even know where to obtain it? Have your say at bit.ly slash countrycode21. That's bit.ly slash countrycode21. The survey closes on the 1st of February. And just a few days ago, the government made an announcement that many, but not all, had been hoping for around the use of neonicotinoids on sugar beet crops for this year's crop only. And there are restrictions. Let's find out more from Lincolnshire farmer Andrew Ward. Andrew, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Back in 2018, the government prohibited the use of neonicotinoids. Now they've decided to grant an application for emergency authorization to allow their use on this year's crop. Andrew, explain for us, please. What's the situation now? Well, yeah, morning, Steve. The, the, the problem is, to start with, this is not an easy topic. It's very, very complicated. And it's not just a simple case of saying we can't allow neonics because of bees and this sort of thing. The problem we've got is we've got an aphid carries a virus that comes into the crop and it absolutely decimates the crop. The virus takes away green leaf area on the crop. And of course, green leaf is photosynthesis. Photosynthesis is light. And that's what gives us the yield. And so we can't use up to now neonicotinoids, the seed treatment. So we're overall spraying the crop with broad spectrum insecticides, which means it will control every insect there is. We're spraying that on the soil surface, the whole surface, when the plants are really minute, probably only probably two or three or four inches high, sometimes a bit bigger, 
but we're doing three applications in a very short period, a matter of a few weeks. And our argument is that that is actually doing more damage and we're doing more damage to the insect population than the neonic seed treatment ever has done. And this is the problem that we don't want to do that. I don't want to spray insecticides. But on the other hand, I also want to produce a crop. And, and at the minute, this is the problem that we've got and that the crop is decimated in yield. If they were so anti-neonics, why have they changed their mind? They've changed their mind because of the, the reduction in sugar that we have now got. This is the problem. And it's only for a very, very short period until we get an alternative. And there is no other alternative across Europe. If we import sugar cane, that is grown with neonics and it's grown with far more products that we have banned. So this is only for a very short period of time and also taken into account with sugar beet is a non-flowering crop, unlike all seed rape. Mm. Bees do not go in sugar beet. That is a very, very important point to remember. And there are limits, though, to this emergency authorization is say it's just for this year's crop but there's there's other limits as well i gather there are, are very very strict following crop limits you cannot grow a flowering crop such as beans within 22 months after sowing a neonic sugar beet crop and you can't grow a crop of all seed rape for 32 months after sugar beet that is in effect three four years but also the one important point to look at is it only gives us a 10-week protection and the loading limit on the seed is 75% of the normal rate. That's all. Apart from that, it's a 10-week protection period where normally with a full rate of neonic, you'd get 12 weeks protection. So given all those restrictions, are you likely to be using neonics this year? We're not automatically given it. Uh, Rothenstead Research Station, who uh, monitor aphid populations and they monitor soil uh, air temperature because they're all linked, there'll be a trigger point. And so it depends on that trigger point in February as to whether it finally goes ahead. But if neonic seed treatment is available and all the um, uh, trigger points are passed, then yes, we will uh, be using them. Thanks, Andrew. Andrew Ward will be back with us looking at gene editing next week following a recent government announcement. Now to a Lincolnshire farmer who's going that extra mile. Well, 26 of them next Saturday to help raise funds for the Farming Community Network. Charles Anion. Morning, Charles. Good morning. Got to start with congratulations on the weight loss. You described yourself as roly-poly, but you're definitely not now, are you? How much have you lost? I've lost about four stone now since wow. uh, since the end of April when I took up running. I've always been a swimmer, but uh, I've always been quite a keen eater as well. 24th of April, my trainers got delivered. I was, uh, yeah, and I've lost about four stone since then, so that's quite pleasing. And is that just how you've done it, just through exercise? Have you changed your diet at all as well? I've changed my diet a bit. You know, there are too many Scotch eggs and cherry bakewells in there. (laughs) And, um, yeah, no uh, exercise and diet. It's just a simple case of putting, burning off more calories than you're putting in. So, um, yeah, fairly simple. Ah, well done, well done you. I mean, you're going to need the the extra fitness and the reduced weight for uh, your marathon coming up next Saturday. But let's talk about Run 1000 first of all. What's that all about? Basically, Run 1000 is an initiative which was uh, thought up by a Scottish lady, Sheena Horner. And it was a lot of these charities have lost a vast majority of their funding streams due to COVID in in Mm. 2020. And it was an opportunity for us to raise money 
for mental health charities. There's a proven fact that uh, exercise is, is good for not only physical but mental health. And it was decided that uh, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales and the rest of the world were going to go up against each other in January, a month which is well known for having the January blues, to be the first to run to a thousand miles. And, um, you know, that was the thought just to, um, you know, get people exercising, get people running whilst raising money for charity. We know the rules around COVID and so on. You're still able to get out and, and run? on your own presumably absolutely i do i do all of my running on my own uh very lucky around springthorpe to have some uh, you know decent roads quietish roads even more quiet now we're in lockdown 3.0 but the government say you're still allowed to get out and exercise as long as you're in the local area which is which is what all the uh, the run, run 1000 runners are doing and um you know it's fantastic to see so many people going at it really and you're raising funds for Farming Community Network, the, the yeah, charity, yeah? They are, uh, yeah, Farming Community Network, a, a well-known charity in the UK. And um, luckily, one of my biggest concerns was I'm not doing this for our very own Lincolnshire Rural Support Network. But with it being a national charity, um, I couldn't. So we're very well served in, in Lincolnshire, but I've been assured by the Farming Community Network and LRSN that they do work together. So, um, you know, that's that's great. I mean, they're an excellent charity supporting farmers and families uh, through difficult times, and we're definitely in one of those at the moment. Do you know how much has been raised so far? Um, there's Over the five countries, we've raised uh, about 30, just over £32,000, but uh, delighted that Team England raising money for the Farming Community Network broke the 12,000 barrier yesterday and uh, I'd just like to say thank you very much to everybody that's you know donated and engaged with it because um that's going to be that's going to really help uh you know the the fight against mental health in 2021 how long is this going on for is this for the month of january it is for the month of january so um yeah yeah no every every mile run in january will count so um yeah and then i'm quite looking forward to the first of february when i can have a rest between me and you but uh yeah and now let's talk about this marathon because you're talking about every mile counts is the marathon that's taking place on saturday counting uh towards run thousand as well uh it will be 23rd of january i uh have pledged in a shameless fundraising idea to uh to run a marathon which will be quite a big turnaround from where i was nine months ago and um you know i'm, I'm hoping to get get round in under four hours which will be be interesting but it's it's just a case of saying that this marathon is going to hurt you know test me mentally physically but then i'll finish i'll have a cup of tea and i'll um you know recover whereas mental health issues last a lot longer and i can cope with it for four or five hours then then fine and it's it's just a case of it's an extra thing that i'm doing and even if it brings in an extra five pounds you know then it's worth it no you you deserve great great praise uh, and a pat on the back for doing it and we obviously wish you all the very best for uh, for saturday now this is raising money so where if, if a listener wanted to get involved in this and contribute where should they go uh basically it's, it's all on my twitter page charles anion and uh, if you type in Charles Anion and just giving the page, the page will come up or, or go onto social media, look for Run 1000, Team England, 
then then it's it's all over there. But uh, any any donation, however large or small, towards towards the uh, the Just Giving page, fighting against mental health issues, would be very much appreciated. Well, look, Charles, all the very best for Saturday, and thanks for joining us again on the farming program. Brilliant. You're welcome. Normally at this point I would hand over to Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services to talk agronomy. Unfortunately, Sean can't be with us this week due to personal reasons, but we look forward to welcoming him back next week. Red Tractor has been in existence for 21 years. Time for a review into what they do and the standards they apply to enable members to use the Red Tractor label on their products? Well, that's what they're doing in a consultation launched last week. Raising animal welfare, protecting workers' rights and enhancing environmental protection are the primary aims of the latest review of Red Tractor standards that farmer members will have to meet from November. Jim Mosley, CEO of Red Tractor, good morning. Morning. You've said that further change is needed to keep up with consumer expectations, hence the consultation. Why do you think there's a need for a review? I think to answer that, Steve, it's probably worth looking at the origins of Red Tractor and just reminding everyone exactly why it was established. It was established back in 2000, 21 years ago now, um, probably as some people would remember, on the back of some food scares like BSE and salmonella and such like. And it was formed at a time when the consumer confidence in British food was probably at an all-time low. So when Red Tractor was very first established, its purpose was to reassure consumers that food bearing its logo was safe and responsibly produced. And whilst initially the focus was on food safety, as with all industries, what comes under responsibly produced tends to evolve with consumer demands. Um, And I think like any other industry, we have seen consumers change with regards to their purchase criteria for food. So things like environmental protection and sustainability have become much higher on consumers' agenda than perhaps they were 20 years ago. Okay. Now, there are three particular areas, aren't there, that you're looking at. Let's look at them individually. First one, animal welfare. What are you looking for there? The work that we're doing and the work that, in fact, we've been doing over the last 10 or 15 years is to look more and more at what we describe as welfare outcomes. So the health and well-being and welfare of the animal or the bird at the end of its life, but also looking at things like housing structure, cleanliness, and I think making it absolutely clear what is and what is not acceptable when handling animals. So the standards will be principally aimed at those kind of areas. Okay, on to worker welfare. Now, you've said, and I agree with you, and we've talked about this many times on the farming programme before, that UK agriculture's health and safety record is far from great. Uh, We spoke to the Farm Safety Foundation on the programme just last week, and it's often identified as an at-risk sector. But not just the actual physical health and safety, but labour exploitation as well. Yes, that's right. So I think first and foremost, we ought to recognize our farmers and our growers, because if, if for me, they are probably the ultimate key worker who has ensured that the, the nation has been supplied with high quality British food and, and probably at a time like COVID have never been more valued by the British public. So I think we need to register that first of all. But the standards that we're looking at are, are yes, they are geared at two areas. Um, one, as you say, health and safety and agriculture doesn't have the greatest record. It's, it's the highest industry in terms of the rate of fatalities at work. So we know it's an area that's got to, that, that has got to be focused on. But we believe that in 
just putting in some what I would describe as light touch standards around ensuring the, pro, uh, the health and safety on farm, then what we're doing is we're elevating the profile of that and ensuring a baseline level of legal compliance and some what I would describe as proactive consideration amongst the Red Tractor members. And you also mentioned labor exploitation. And again, you know, when you look at the, some of the government uh, inquiries, they would say that agriculture is one of the highest risk sectors for labor exploitation. Uh, and so, again, we know that the Modern Slavery Act of 2015 probably applies further up the supply chain to those bigger businesses that have to report on their efforts to address modern slavery. But to do that, those bigger businesses are obviously going to make those demands down the supply chain. And we believe that ultimately farms, even small farms, are going to have to demonstrate that they are looking at worker welfare on their farms. So the standards that we are proposing are what I describe as a relatively light touch standards that ensure farmers are looking at the health and safety and welfare of the employees on the farm. I'm keen that Red Tractor does this because my slight concern is that if we don't get involved in that, there will be other bodies that will work on behalf of those bigger manufacturers up the supply chain that will kind of ensure that modern slavery is ticked and health and safety is ticked. And that could be a much heavier audit than the one that we are recommending. Okay, and in the third part of this review, let's talk environment. Where are you looking at there? Red Tractor has always had environmental protection standards uh, within its within its world, within its remit. What we're looking to do is incorporate um, the latest uh, DEFRA or the Environment Agency farming rules for water. So this is already legislation. The aims of that legislation is to reduce soil erosion and, and nutrient runoff. And what we've done with our proposed standards is adapt those legal requirements for short to ensure they're kind of meaningful and can be easily assessed through the Red Tractor standards for farms. So in some respects, we're not going further than legislation. What we're actually doing is just incorporating that legislation into the Red Tractor standards. I've, I, lots of farmers will, will kind of argue as to whether that should be the remit of Red Tractor. But for me, if we do these things, it still means that a farmer can ensure that if he's red tractor assured, he has also ticked that box of being uh, legal and, and adhering to all the legislation that is out there. So for me, it's, a, it's one inspection that ticks a lot of boxes. Jim, thanks very much for that. You can have your say on the proposals if you just head to the Red Tractor website. Jim Mosley, CEO of Red Tractor, thanks once again for joining us on the Farming Programme. Thank you very much. Let's get our weekly review of the markets and prices now with Openfield's Kit Dickinson. Good morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. The USDA report provided fresh news for the bulls, with maize providing the biggest surprises. Quarterly ending stocks of US maize saw the biggest miss. Some 16 million metric tonne below trade expectations and indicative increased demand. Inexplicably, they proceeded to reduce their feed usage and export forecasts in the same report, which in the case of the former, is counterintuitive and the latter just plain wrong, given the export sales profile to date. The trade had also expected some small cuts in the US maize yield, but what they got was something much bigger, which knocked 8 million metric tonnes off their production forecast. 
They reduced Brazilian Argentine maize production by a token 2.5 million tonnes, combined with the trade expectation of a 10 to 15 million tonne reduction. So, more to come in future reports. As a consequence of the above, both US and global stocks tightened and are likely to contract further still. Russian quota and taxes were imposed with the intention of dampening domestic prices. This has not worked. Russian farmers are now refusing to sell, passing the whole tax increase onto the export market and lifting global prices accordingly. There is now a new proposal to increase taxes by a further €20 from the middle of March onwards, and this tax will be on barley and maize exports. The phrase unintended consequences has been banded about a lot this week in reference to the government's involvement in trade matters. The EU continues to export more wheat than it can afford, whilst at the same time EU maize imports are 30% below the required pace to meet expectations this season. It is becoming increasingly difficult to see how the situation will resolve unless higher prices ration demand. Weather in South America has improved slightly, but cumulative rain amounts are well below the norm, particularly in Argentina. This week, three weather models have called for a dry summer in the US Midwest, which, although premature, would be a major problem if it materialises, given the already tightening stock situation on row crops in the face of China's increasing appetite for both maize and soybeans. Looking at the malting barley markets this week, market remains subdued following the tightening lockdown restrictions in the UK, with news this week that a number of breweries are looking to mothball some of their production, now that pubs are unable to serve takeaway alcohol drinks. With only minimal old crop trade occurring, it has been a rise in feed barley levels that has been supporting the malting barley values, with those dependent on variety and quality specs and, of course, location. New crop markets are seeing a little more free discussion as we approach the new crop drilling window. With the old crop market ever-changing in the face of the Covid challenge, it is worth checking for any quality that you may have in the shed and speaking to your farm business manager about opportunities going forward. Oilseed rate, all eyes are on the USDA report World Supply and Demand this week as it was issued on Tuesday. With the market expectations for a reduction in US ending stocks to match the recent pace of the continued Chinese purchasing, markets were not disappointed, with ending stocks move lower and this, along with lowered production number for the US, made reductions in the forecast for the South American crop number, which also gave support to the markets pushing to their new highs that we saw this week. Further support was added after China made additional old crop soybean purchases, which will add to the already record export number. Domestically, sellers remain reluctant at these lower levels, which should add support to the cash market for the time being, unless the recent sell-off proves more robust in the short term. So moving on to prices this week, feed wheat for January 195 to 197. A lot of cover has already been taken at these levels, hence the reduced price. So we move forward into March at 208 to 210, May 211 to 213, November 162 to 164. Milling wheat premiums have come back slightly and are currently at 15 to 18 pounds. Oilseed rate for January is 377 to 379, March 376 to 378, May 376 to 378. Limited carry going forward for the old crop market, but November new crop 348 to 350. Feed barley for January is 155 to 157, moving forward to March at 157 to 159, and May 159 to 161.
November, 146 to 148. Malting barley premiums are currently £12 for a 185 and £20 for a 165 nitrogen. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Bit of high pressure around today and tomorrow, bringing calmer, mostly dry weather. But that changes from Tuesday when we move into a few days of low pressure, bringing unsettled conditions with rain and strong winds before calming down and cooling down towards the end of the week. Light westerly winds today, mostly dry with highs of 6 Celsius this afternoon, followed by a clear night into Monday, lows of 1 Celsius. Mostly dry again tomorrow with the wind southwesterly in single figures MPH and temperatures up to around 4 Celsius after lunch. Monday night is when it all starts to change with low pressure taking hold. Expect some strong winds gusting to 40 miles per hour all day Tuesday with plenty of rain likely. A warmer day though with temperatures just nudging double figures. Mild overnight into Wednesday, which will be breezy, winds mostly from the west in the upper teens, drying off after the overnight rain, a cooler day with some winter sunshine highs around 5 Celsius. Thursday and Friday look to be colder, with minus 1 the low into Friday, light westerly or northwesterly breezes, and temperatures no higher than 2 or 3 Celsius on Friday. Next week on the Farming Programme, we'll look at gene editing following this week's government announcement. Plus, one big local player in farming has teamed up with other local firms to shorten the distribution chain. Find out all about it next Sunday at 7 on Lynx FM and from 7.30 online, the app and all podcast platforms, including iTunes. Until then, I'm Steve Orchard. Have a safe, positive farming week. <laughs>